Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible. I'm Evan. And I'm Aaron. And this is a podcast where we read through the Bible together every year and talk about what we learned along the way. If you'd like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app. And look up the Grove Church in Marysville, Washington. You can find our plan there. We also have the plan available on our website, grove.church. And if you are jumping in, today we are on day 162. 162. Man, we are cranking through this plan this year. Uh, So thank you for reading along with us and thank you for engaging with us. If this is your first time, I do want to make you aware of, uh, we love to take time for questions as much as we can week over week uh, and would love for you to send in those questions. There's three ways that you can send us a question. And if you're a dear listener and you have questions, make sure to send them in because we love to answer them. Uh, Here's the three ways. One is an email. Email address is infogrove.church. Make sure to put in the subject line a podcast question. Uh, or you can hit us up on Facebook or Instagram. Our handle is the Grove CH. You can direct message us there and we'll take time to answer those questions as well. All right. Well, there, there you be. There you be. This week we are so last week we kind of it was kind of like the very little introduction to Elijah. Yep. We barely we barely touched on it. We just know that, you know, he prophesied that there is going to be a famine. And uh you know, lo and behold, there's a famine. What? <laughs> so that is that is what is going on. The drought is going strong. Uh, and this week we're going to be talking a lot, at least in my portion, we're going to be talking a lot about the relationship of Elijah and Ahab, the king who he is the prophet for most of his reign uh, or most of his ministry, I should say. So Elijah travels to uh, Zarephath after the uh, after that. Um, I forgot what the name of that water was that dried up, but shoot. The Wadi? The, wa- the Wadi, thank you. Uh, after that dries up, Eli travel- Elijah travels to uh, the Zarephath, uh, which is north of Israel on the coast of the Mediterranean. It's a city kind of right on the, uh, right on the western coast of that kind of Israel, Syria, Jordan, not Jordan, uh, Lebanon area. Uh, there comes, uh, there he comes upon a widow and her son, and he asks for bread. Uh, she says that she only has enough to make a last meal for her and her son, and then they actually plan on dying after. So incredibly sad. And again, I think most of us know this story. So um, put yourself into the situation of the people that you're reading about. Like imagine only having enough ingredients to make a last meal for you and your son. And you kind of know that you're going to be dying soon because of the famine. That's, it's a heartbreaking situation that Elijah is finding himself in. Uh, And so we get one of the most, if you know the story of Elijah, you know him for probably two different miracles. If this is one of them, right? This is one of the most famous ones that God does through Elijah. Uh, And it says, and Elijah said to her, do not fear Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterwards, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he had spoken." So yeah, this woman, basically he's like, it's, it's kind of a show of faith in a little bit <clears throat> that she is able to make this cake for him, even in the midst. And then for the rest of the drought, which lasts for years, um, she has a jar of oil and a jar of flour, and she can continuously pour out the oil and she can continuously take out of the jar of flour and make bread. So her and her son will be able to live. Um, well, at least theoretically, because right after this, or at least a short time after this, the woman's son ends up becoming so ill that he is, he's either dead, like he's on, he's, he's either completely dead or he's on death's doorstep. Like he's very, very close to it. Um, the phrase that is used in the Bible is that his breath had left him. 
Uh, she is understandably brokenhearted over this, and she asks why Elijah even bothered to come and bring her hope if this is what was going to happen. Elijah responds by asking God to heal the boy, and he cites that, and I thought this was really interesting. He cites that he is a sojourner in this land and that the woman has given him hospitality. Remember, going all the way back to, I don't remember which specific book it was, but in Leviticus Numbers, somewhere in there, um, there are specific commands about how the people of Israel are supposed to treat sojourners, how they're supposed to treat the foreigners who come into the land. And it's with hospitality. Like God wants uh, his people to be welcoming, not just of their own people, not just of the Israelites. He wants them to be welcoming of all the nations. So when people sojourn through the lands, they are to be taken care of. And so Elijah's saying that, you know, I'm a sojourner. I'm a foreigner in this land. This is not in Israel. This is taking place. And you'll, you'll, you can kind of get that point when she says, um, she uses the phrase Yahweh, the God of Israel, not um, Yahweh, my God, when, she, when she's talking. And so God hears the prayer. Uh, and he, he, the boy is healed uh, in a super awkward way. <laughs> so it, like Elijah kind of brings the boy <laughs> and he lays on top of him, like matching palm to palm, face to face, foot to foot. Like he's just completely lying over him. Uh, and then it, it reminds me of like, uh, here's the deal. I'm a, if you've, if you've had conversations with me, I'm a noted hater of chiropractors, um, which I'm, you know, I don't think they're like witch doctors or anything, but I just, yeah, I'm not, I'm not about it. I don't enjoy it. I don't like it. Uh, I went to the chiropractor, like a few years ago because my parents were like, yeah, you just need to go. And here's the deal, Aaron. I need to tell you this. Same exact experience. I'm just lying, <laughs> just lying on top of me. I'm like, this is weird. I don't like this at all. So that's what, that's what, uh, that's not exactly what Elijah is doing here, but it's made me think of it. Um, but after three years, Elijah is commanded to go to Ahab once again for a sick showdown. And this is the other, uh, this is the other miracle that you might know Elijah from. Uh, Elijah asks a man named Obadiah. No, it's not that Obadiah probably, but almost assuredly not, uh, to tell the king that he is on his way. Obadiah is a God-fearing man. And we actually find out that when Jezebel is uh, wanting to kill a bunch of prophets, he hides them. He hides two groups of, uh, I didn't write down the exact number, but I believe it's 500 prophets. He hides two groups yes. of 500 uh, yeah, or 400. But he, he, a significant amount of prophets, uh, Ob Obadiah hides in caves and he's sneaking out food and uh, water and all these different things to keep the prophets of God uh, safe during this time. So he is, he's not a, he's not a, sh a schmuck, right? He's a, he's a real God-fearing man, uh, but he's scared, right? Because he, Elijah's like, go tell the king that I'm here. And he's like, but if I go tell the king and then you're gone, like, I'm, I'm going to die. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. And Elijah's like, no, 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 I, I am coming before the king. Do not be afraid. And so Obadiah goes. He tells the king, uh, Ahab, I love that when Elijah comes in, Ahab is like, oh, cool. The troubler of Israel has returned. And it's like, dude, like this is, this is your fault. What are you doing right now? Uh, and so Elijah reminds Ahab of that fact. And then he tells him to call, he, he tells him, bring 400 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah to meet him at Mount Carmel. Uh, and Baal and Asherah are kind of like, they're the two gods that, or God and goddess, respectively, um, that Israel just can't get over. You know, they have a it's bunch. True. They have a bunch of gods that they kind of go between. But those two are like, you know, they're the ones that got they're the away. Staples. Yeah, they're the they're the constant temptation. I don't know what it is about them. So there you go. I think Baal is like a god of the harvest, and Asherah is a god of fertility, if I remember correctly. But I don't I don't know for sure. Anyway, they go to Mount Carmel. And Elijah's basically he's challenging him to a, to a duel. <laughs> he's like not a not a not a duel fighting to the death, but he's like, hey, let's both make an altar. Let's both get a sacrifice on top of this bad boy, <clears throat> and you guys pray, and I'll pray, and whoever whichever God decides to 
consume the uh, the offering with fire. Let's just admit that that's the one true God. And so everyone's like, all right, cool, cool beans, cool beans. Uh, and so the prophets of Baal and Asherah, they do the whole thing, uh, and they start, you know, they start doing their their rituals. So they're dancing around, they're cutting their um, their hands, and they're, they're trying to show blood. Um, I love the Elijah. I love the the peek into Elijah's personality that we get here because like he's just talking about, oh man, maybe Baal is uh maybe he's asleep, maybe he's in the bathroom. Shout louder, like Baal can't hear you guys. Come on, like he's just kind of egging him on. Nothing happens, and then Elijah, um. So, you know, okay, my turn, or more accurately, God's turn. Yeah. Uh, and so he actually brings up, he's like, hey, douse this with water. I want this to be soaking wet because I don't want anyone to think there's any tricks going on here. And so they do that. And then he just offers a simple prayer. He's just like, God, if you're like Yahweh, if you are Elohim, if you are the God, the one true God, consume the sacrifice. And it says that fire from heaven comes, consumes the sacrifice <clears throat> that instant. Uh, and then it says, and this is First Kings chapter 18, verse 39. Then when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Or Yahweh, he is Elohim. Uh, and Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and slaughtered them there. And the, and the people of Israel worshiped God alone for the rest of their history. Isn't that great? Isn't that, a, gr- isn't that a great story? And that's story? the end of the Bible. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, they definitely don't immediately go back to idol worship after this. Um, but Evan, why do I sense your sarcastic? Oh my gosh. All right. Well, yeah, after this, Yahweh sends rain to the land and it is fertile once again. And Jezebel is having none of this. She's like, whoa. <laughs> oh my gosh, dude. I don't... I mean, I guess I do. Like I said, I try not to be... Um, I try to read the Bible thinking that you're the, so I'll say this more generically. We should not read the Bible thinking that we're better than any of the characters in it because it's, that's probably wishful thinking. But on that's what parts. you're doing right now. Isn't yeah, it? it is. It is a little bit, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I don't know. Like God just shows them so much that like, no, I'm the one true God. This is not a situation where they have to remember back to like, oh, like maybe the stories of Moses, maybe they're legends, maybe they're not remember like God created the world. Oh my gosh. Like they're seeing miracles. In front of them, and and I guess this is this isn't. I maybe the people of Israel kind of stick with God for a little bit after this, but definitely not Jezebel. Jezebel is like, whoa, the land is fertile and the people are worshiping the one true God. Boo. Can't have that, and so she sends a messenger. Oh, no, you did, and she sends a messenger to Elijah, telling him that she's going to kill him. So sweet. <laughs> yep, Elijah is distraught. Uh, he flees. He during this uh, the fling, he actually asks. He God, freaks out. Like that's what happens. He yeah. just freaks out. He asked God to take his life. He's like, hey, okay, you know, I've, I've had a good run. I'm done here. Um, he's he's really despairing over this because he's, and, it, and I guess in fairness, he's spending years living on the run already. He goes back. There's this massive moment of triumph. And then immediately he has to go on the run again. Um, and before it didn't seem like he was being hunted to die. It was just that he needed to get out of there. And, and it probably is implied, but this one is straight up like Jezebel's like, nope. And she says something about may, may the gods do to me. May the gods kill me if I don't kill you. So, uh, and spoiler alert, uh, well, the gods don't kill Jezebel, but someone else does. Um, the one true God. So, but that's a spoiler for later. I think that's actually in your readings today. It's coming. Oh, it's coming. All right. So anyway, uh, eventually he finds his way. He is led to Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. 
So the place where uh, God... Wait a second. Just that's, kidding. that's the Lord's mountain. Uh, so that's where God gives the uh, the law to Moses. Uh, and we get... I'm just going to read this whole passage here. This is verses 11 through 18 of chapter 19, but I love it. Uh, and so God is going to speak to Elijah and he says, go, and stand, go out and stand before the mountain of the Lord and behold, the Lord passed by and a great strong wind tore the mountain and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in a cloak and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave and behold, there came a voice to him saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall appoint anoint king over Israel and Elisha, the son of Shabbat of Abel Manloah, you shall appoint to be the prophet in your place. (coughs) And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael, Jehu shall put to death. But the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall put to death. Yet I will... Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. So there you go. So we get, there is, there is a remnant in Israel, at least we find out. Not a very big one. No. But there is a remnant that is, that is still worshiping the Lord here. And so, yeah, I mean, obviously this passage is really powerful because of the imagery of a mighty whirlwind going before the Lord. And remember, like, it's not, it's not crazy to expect that that's where God would be. Cause where is God in Job, right? God speaks out of the whirlwind to Job. Um, and then there's a, a great fire. Where does God speak to Moses out of a fire? Right. Um, and then the earthquake, I got nothing on the earthquake, but maybe that's in there somewhere. Uh, Korah, <laughs> I don't know. So, or, I mean, you know, actually in fairness, uh, there's a very famous earthquake when, uh, uh, it is finished and, and Christ declares that, but that's later. Uh, but then God being in the whisper and it's all, you almost get this idea of just like this comforting moment that it is to Elijah. And then once again, we're going to see the, uh, the end of a dynasty in Israel, like Judah, the Kings of Judah are all in the Davidic dynasty. They're all sons of David. Um, and by sons of David, I mean, you know, descendants of David, not that they're all his sons. Um, the line of Israel is not, I don't remember how many dynasties there are, but we already saw the line last week. We talked about the dynasty of Jeroboam, the first ending. And then this week we're going to be talking about the next dynasty ending as well. Uh, and Jehu is going to be the one who does that. So as we continue on, Elijah crosses paths with that young man named Elisha. Uh, it's a passage that reminds me a lot of Jesus's call to his disciples where Elisha, Elijah puts his cloak on Elisha. And Elisha just drops everything. He's like, okay, cool. Uh, he's like, let me go say goodbye to my parents. Uh, these oxen that I have, I'm going to sacrifice them all. And then let's go. So he, he's just, he's immediately on board with this idea. Um, and he, and he follows Elijah starting in chapter 20, we get the start of the wars between Israel and Syria. Uh, this is a big, this is a big deal. Uh, the nation and the Syria is the nation to the immediate North It is on the Northern border of Israel. And they're kind of a, uh, they're a constant thorn in the side of Israel. They're their, they're their main enemy until we get to the great empires that arise uh, coming up in a few generations that are really going to be the ones that cause a lot of trouble for Israel and Judah. Um, 
Ben Hadad is, and we talked about him a little bit last week. He is the king of Syria and he messes with Yahweh twice and gets wrecked twice. Uh, so both times a prophet or a man of God comes to Ahab and tells him that Yahweh is going to give this king into your hand. So he's going to say, Hey, the king of Syria has mocked, has mocked God. I'm not, I'm not okay with it. He's going to, he's going to fall into your hands. So both times that a prophet comes and tells Ahab this, and both times it actually happens, um, you would think that Ahab would learn, right? <laughs> like, Hey, maybe I should follow the one true God. Maybe I should follow Yahweh. Um, he doesn't. And then especially after the second battle, he lets the King of Syria go, uh, and for a ransom. So Syria's like, Hey, the King of Syria is like, Hey, I'll return these cities to you. And Ahab's like, oh, I mean, that's fair, which I mean, that is the way that you would normally do things as king. But again, remember, God is not wanting the kings of Israel and Judah to be like the other kings. Uh, there's a prophet who finds Ahab on the side of the road, and he tells him that he has failed to fulfill his oath. The, the, sorry, the prophet is in a disguise. And he, he basically, Ahab's driving by, and he goes and sees the king. And he's like, my king, I failed to fulfill an oath. There was someone I was supposed to protect, but he's gone. And I set, I swore in my oath that it would be my life for his, or I had to pay a talent of silver. What should I do? And Ahab's like, well, I mean, that's the value made. So you've said it yourself. That's the price. And then they, I just kind of imagined the prophet like ripping off his disguise, like, aha, like I got you. Like, cause the prophets do that all the time. They're just like all the time. And also remember, if you've ever, uh, if you've ever seen Arrested Development, just like just Gene Parmesan and he takes off the disguise and then, uh, Ahab's like, shoot, you're right. Uh, and so he tells him like, hey, because you let the king of Syria go, your life is going to be for his and you're and you're going to die. Uh, Ahab is understandably pretty bummed about this. Uh, he goes home. It, the exact words are that he is vexed and sullen when he goes home. And he wants, you know what, you know what I do, Aaron? What do you do? When I'm vexed and sullen, I think to myself, I want to buy some real estate. I want to buy a vineyard. Uh, and that's what Ahab thinks to himself, obviously. So we're two, we're two peas in a pod in that sense. Um, just kidding. I don't buy vineyards, but I mean, yes, you do. it could be cool, I guess. Yeah, you do. I've seen it. I've been, I've been there. Just I've kidding. been to the vineyards. Uh, so he goes to a man named Naboth and he's like, Hey man, like your vineyards right outside my palace is super cool. Um, why don't I give you an even better vineyard somewhere else? Or I'll give you like the money, the, whatever it's worth, I will give you. So in fairness, Ahab is not trying to cheat the guy. Like he's basically, nice of him. yeah, he's, he's going to give him a fair price. And Naboth is like, no, whoa, this vineyard has been in my family for generations. Like I, I can't just get rid of my inheritance. And then Ahab's like, oh, and Ahab is vexed and sullen again. It's funny that the, uh, the, those are the exact words that are used when he finds out he's going to die. <laughs> And when he finds out that he can't buy this vineyard, he's just vexed and sullen. So there you go. Um, Jezebel, being just a loving, wonderful wife who is ever helpful, arranges for Naboth to be falsely accused and killed. So she's the worst. Jerk. Oh my gosh. Jezebel is just the worst. Every, yeah. Ugh. Ugh. Jezebel or Delilah, who's worse? Jezebel. It's easy. Yeah, I was going to say, gotta, I was, you shouldn't Jezebel. think about that. No, I we're going to rank villainous women next. <laughs> After the Kings, we're ranking the villainous women. The one that always strikes me is, is like, I feel like I see uh, Jezebel and Delilah are two names that I just see kind of like pop up. Like, like who's naming their kids this? I mean, if it's you listener, like my bad, you know, it's, it's cool. Just but, stop. Like, Jezebel's the worst. Um, so anyway, that, that happens. Uh, Ahab takes the vineyard and then obviously God is, pretty peeved about this. And he lets Ahab and Jezebel know about it. Uh, and so Elijah, he tells Elijah like, Hey, go before the King. And Ahab says to Elijah, have you found me? Oh, my enemy. And Elijah answered, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring disaster upon you. 
I will utterly burn you up and I will cut off Ahab from every male bond or free in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam. And again, this, this uh, prophecy is sounding basically exactly the same as the one that ended the house of Jeroboam as well. Uh, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, for the anger to which you have provoked me and because you have made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel, the Lord said, the dogs shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. Anyone who belongs to Ahab who dies in the city, the dogs shall eat. And anyone who of his who dies in the open country, the birds of heaven shall eat. So basically, you're not going to get buried. This is the way it's going to go down. So, oh my gosh. So, uh, and here's the thing, Aaron, we talked about this last year. Did we? Here's the thing we never talk about. Ahab repents. (laughs) No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. You're, oh my gosh. So true. Uh, so first Kings chapter 21, it says there was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord, like Ahab, whom Jezebel, his wife incited. He acted abominably in going after idols as the Amorites had done, whom the Lord cast down. Uh, cast out before the people of Israel. So I, I feel like even the even the author of Kings here is having to put this like, hey, just just remember Ahab it sucks. Like he's not a good king. But you know when Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his flesh, and fasted and lay in sackcloth, and he went about dejectedly. And so you might just be like, okay, that's a false repentance. Like whatever, he's just really bummed. He's or or to use the words of the author of Kings, he's sullen and vexed right now. Um, but then it says, the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the disaster in his days, but in his son's days, I will bring the disaster upon his house. So it's not Elijah who's convinced that this repentance is genuine. It's God. <laughs> and, and and you can't trick God. Like there's no, there's no fool in God. So I, I, I take this at face value that Ahab is straight up repenting and that he is humbling himself before the Lord. So again, like Ahab's kind of, he's a more complicated character than sometimes we give him credit for. I think sometimes he's just straight up like um, evil twisted villain, I guess, where there's, there's, there's nuance to him that is really interesting. Just like there's nuance to people, I guess, like the, remember the Bible is a story of, it's not myth. It's, it's the legitimate stories of real people who lived. Um, chapter 22 brings us yet another war in Syria, this time with Jehoshaphat. Remember him? Because we haven't talked about him in a while, Uh, but he's the king of Judah. Uh, Jehoshaphat wants to seek the Lord though. So Jehoshaphat goes in and Jehoshaphat's like, whoa, 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 like, hey, before we go in, is there a prophet of Yahweh that we can consult with? And I I love this. Uh, Ahab is like, well, there's this guy named Micaiah, but I hate him since he only gives me bad news, (laughs) which is like, hey, I wonder why Ahab, maybe if he did other things, you wouldn't get bad news all the time. I just love like, yeah, I mean, there is one, but that guy sucks. So I don't want to talk to him. Uh, In Chronicles, this passage gives us a little bit more from Jehoshaphat's perspective. Uh, again, remember Chronicles is pretty much only concerned with the Kings of Judah. So when we're talking about um, the Kings of Israel, almost all that's going to be in Kings. And then with the Kings of Judah, it's going to be in Kings and Chronicles. Uh, and so Jehoshaphat, let it, sorry, Chronicles lets us know that Jehoshaphat had entered into a marriage alliance with Ahab, which means that he married a, a daughter of Ahab. And so, well, that's part of the reason why he's, feeling connected to the Northern kingdom and willing to go to war with them. Uh, and then after that little thing, there's, it's the same info basically in the Chronicles passage as the King's passage. Going back to Kings, we see that Micaiah uh, comes before Ahab. He is told that, you know, beforehand to be cool and give good news. So basically there's a servant that comes like, Hey man, like you're going just, just, you know, 
just be cool. Just this once, Micaiah. Just be give cool. him good news. And so uh, he goes there and he's like, uh, he's like, listen, I'm only going to say what Yahweh is going to tell me to say. Uh, so Micaiah goes before the kings and he starts off by saying, hey, he's like, everything is going to be great. Uh, everything is awesome. Yeah, everything. It's going to be awesome. You're going to route them. Way to go, boys. You know, you're, you're going to be, you're going to do awesome. And Ahab's like, really? And Micaiah says, no, 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 you're all going to die. Just kidding. So um, obviously I'm paraphrasing a lot there, but he does give like good news. And then Ahab is like clearly not trusting him because he's like, you've only ever given me bad news. Like I forgot exactly what he says, but basically how many times do I have to make you swear this is true before I'm going to actually believe you? And Micaiah's like, okay, yeah, you're right. You're all going to die. <laughs> so uh, there you go. I shouldn't say you're all going to die because uh, some people escape, but Ahab, this is the end. Uh, the Chronicles passage here has no significant differences uh, to get back into Kings. After this, they go to battle and Ahab decides to disguise himself, but tells Jehoshaphat to keep his royal robes on. So what a good guy that Ahab is. It's so nice uh, and to be clear, even though I think that the repentance of Ahab is genuine and he humbles himself before the Lord, that doesn't mean he just turns into a good guy. Cause here he's basically like, Hey, I don't want to get killed. Uh, Jehoshaphat, but you keep your royal robes on. You know, why don't you look like the king of Israel and I'll just look like one of the other soldiers? Uh, so the king of Syria tries to kill Jehoshaphat, but once they realize that it's not Ahab, they stop pursuing. Uh, and then eventually a random bowman shoots a random arrow that hits a random guy, and that's Ahab. Uh, because, and I put, if God wants you dead, you're going to die. So it's almost like final destination rules, but, uh, <laughs> it's just like, listen, like you're not, you're not going to get out of this. Uh, and so Ahab is taken out of the battlefield. He doesn't die right away. He dies later that night. And then a full retreat is ordered immediately after with all of the, all of the men of Israel and Judah, uh, returning to their homes that, that are able to escape. Uh, the Chronicles passage is mostly the same, but it includes a detail that Jehoshaphat cried out for deliverance from Yahweh and that Yahweh himself is the one who saves Jehoshaphat. So it's kind of a, it's a miracle that Jehoshaphat escapes because he cries out to God for help, uh, which is, you know, it's a theme we see with some of the Kings when they cry out to God. It, it usually works until we usually. get, yeah, until we get later when he's like, nope, I'm, we're done here. But that's not for a while, listeners. Uh, the body of Ahab is then brought to Samaria where it is buried. And so it's kind of interesting because like the, the way that you could interpret that prophecy before, where it's like the dogs are going to eat you, um, you, you, the way you would interpret that is like, okay, you're not going to be buried. You're just going to get eaten by wild animals. Well, that's not exactly true. Ahab is actually buried. Um, but his chariot is full of his blood, right? Because again, he was shot with an arrow. He's bleeding out. He's carried away on his chariot. So that when they wash off the chariot, the dogs come and they lap up his blood. And that's, that fulfills the prophecy there. So kind of a cool deal there. Uh, sometimes, you know, God is merciful and he allows Ahab a, uh, a kingly burial, I suppose. Uh, after Ahab, his son Ahaziah takes over. And we're told, uh, Ahaziah, the son of Ahab began to reign over Israel in Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And he reigned two years over Israel. So Yay. a short reign, which, uh, here's the deal listener. If it's a short reign, that is almost always indicative of it's so true. bad king. Uh, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And he walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. He served Baal and worshiped him and provoked the Lord, the God of Israel to anger in every way that his father had done. So, yeah. All right. Well, we will pick back up with what happens with the Haiza here, you know, in, in Ahaziah. I don't know why I said Ahaiza there. What an idiot. Uh, but we're going to jump over to Chronicles where we will see that Jehoshaphat is, you know, he returns to Judah, obviously, you know, the whole going to war with Ahab thing, not the best decision he's ever made, but 
he comes back and he makes some great reforms. So the Lord is understandably, Yay. yeah, the Lord is understandably angry at him for assisting Ahab, which I get it because that guy is not, you know, he's not a good dude. Uh, however, he grants him mercy for his faithfulness in destroying the Ashtaroth, which if you remember, those are kind of like the poles that are used to worship that particular goddess. And so I've noticed that that's one of the... Uh, that's one of the stumbling blocks of the kings of Judah is like they'll worship Yahweh alone, but they won't destroy the high places or the Asherah poles sometimes. So we find out that Jehoshaphat did in fact do that. So good, good on him. Uh, and then he helps, he responds by helping to solidify the worship of Yahweh with the people once again. And he restores many Levites to uh, important spiritual roles that they should have had anyway. So good on, good on Jehoshaphat there. Uh, sometime after this, a coalition army of Moab and Ammon forms to come against Judah. Uh, Jehoshaphat prays for deliverance and his prayer is granted. The spirit of the Lord falls upon a man named uh, Jehaziel, who tells the nation that the battle belongs to God and not to them, which if you've ever, it's a new worship song, but it's like, the battle belongs to you. That's the one I think of now. Uh, and so Jehoshaphat leads the people into battle and he tells them to continuously sing praises and say, uh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Sorry, the heat for he is good is not in there. Not that it's not true, but it's uh, uh, <laughs> That's li- a psalm. literally translated, it's give thanks to Yahweh for his steadfast love endures forever, which it does. Uh, Cause when they arrive the ba- to the battle, they find their enemies are already dead. Uh, and we're not really told how this goes down. <laughs> we're just told that the Lord arranged for an ambush. So that could be like angels basically attack these people, or it could be that there's another nation that just is like, they're just chilling and they go and attack them and they leave. Who knows? But the Judah, the Judah, Judahites, Judahites, Judans, the Judas, yes. the Jews, they, they arrive. That is where the word comes from. Uh, they arrive there and they find that uh, they're all gone. So cool, cool beans. Uh, they praise the Lord and they return to Jerusalem. Uh, going back to Kings, we're going to read chapters one and three, not two. Don't get excited, listeners. No, don't you dare read it either. <laughs> yeah, don't you, don't you dare skip. <laughs> uh, we, we head back to the Northern Kingdom now to check on how Elijah and Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, are doing. Uh, we find out that Ahaziah had a great fall, much like Humpty Dumpty, and he is now lying <laughs> sick. Uh, he sends messengers to inquire of Baal, uh, Baal Zebub, which is, you know, really close to Beelzebub there, come on, uh, to see if he will get better. Elijah is then told to go to these servants and tell them that Ahaziah is going to die for inquiring of other gods, uh, the servants return and they tell Ahaziah, hey, uh, we went to go acquire, inquire of Baal Zebub, but uh, Elijah cut us off and he said that uh, God's going to kill you now because you went to other gods instead. And so ah- Ahaziah is like, bring, bring Elijah to me. And he sends 50 men, which already... With that number, that's showing you that Ahaziah knows. <laughs> like, it's not, it's not, it's probably not going to be easy to bring in Elijah. And at this point, Elijah is an old man. Like, this is not, this is no statement of his fighting prowess or even his ability to run. Like, he's, he's probably not a spring chicken anymore. And so, but at the same time, Ahaziah calls him in and then Elijah's just like, if I'm a man of God, then let fire from heaven fall and consume you all. And it does. And then Ahaziah is like, okay, well, that didn't go so well. I guess I'll stop. Uh, no, he sends in another 50 men and uh, they same exact thing happens. And he sends in a third group of 50 men. And the leader of this, I feel, I feel for this guy. The leader of this 50 is like, please, please don't kill us. Like if it, just Elijah, let, let our lives be like, uh, I forgot the way he says it, but let our lives be precious to you. And Elijah asks the Lord and the Lord's like, yeah, it's fine. And so they, they God spares them. Elijah goes and he delivers the king the message uh, and Ahaziah 
dies shortly thereafter and Jehoram takes over. And this is the king. I believe this is the Jehoram who is also known as Joram in Kings. Oh no, it must be the Jude. I don't know. I shouldn't have said anything, listeners. I'm sorry. There's, like I said, the names are slightly different between Kings and Chronicles. Sometimes it can get a little confusing. There are two Jehorams. And, and uh, the two Ahaziahs. There's a, there's, a, there's a few kings that have the same names, but only one set of them is the first and the second. And that's Jeroboam the first and Jeroboam the second, because the rest of them are kings of Israel or Judah, respectively. So they don't need the numbers behind them. Yeah. So. so technically we're still in, are we still in Israel? No, we're in Judah right now. We are. No, this is Israel. This is Israel. Okay, yeah, yeah. Jehoram yeah, is yeah, king yeah. of... Yeah, yeah. See, it, it's, it's confusing even for us listeners. So there you go. Although I guess it is night... It is, it is, uh, we're, you know, as we record this, we're only a few weeks removed from the coronation of King Charles III oh, of Great yeah. Britain. And so I guess it's a little bit easier to follow than that monarchy where everyone is just like... Or I guess easier, I guess, because they all, it's all like the same like 10 names. Or France, when you're like, hey, who was king during this year? And you just say Louis and you're right. Most of the time. So, yeah. Not that any of that matters, but... What are you talking about? The listeners care about topical historical jokes of the monarchies. And I can hear them laughing right now. All right. So, <laughs> we go back in Kings. It says, in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, Jehoram, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel in Samaria. He reigned 12 years. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Surprise. Sweet. Though not like his father and mother. Hey, that's he, a win. For he put away the pillar of Baal that his father had made. Uh, nevertheless, he clung to the sin of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which made Israel to sin, and he oh. did not depart from it. So, I mean, here's the deal. I mean, I, I feel like when we go to our tier rankings, I don't know if this is enough to get him out of bad king. It's probably not, but I feel like it's enough to get him at least <laughs> yeah. to the to the front, like right around Rehoboam. He might Bond. be a top tier bad king. He's a top, he's a, listen, if we're grading on a curve, if we're, in fairness, if we're grading on a curve in Israel, he's one of the great kings of Israel because there's a- You're not wrong. It dives real hard after this. Oh, Israel. Uh, so then we, we see another joint battle that Jehoshaphat jumps all over because apparently he didn't learn his lesson the last time. Uh, Jehoram wants to bring Moab back into submission. Uh, and once again, Jehoshaphat, to his credit, wants to inquire of a prophet of Yahweh. And so he's like, hey, whoa, whoa, guys, let's not go into battle without inquiring of the Lord. And so Jehoram's like, oh, fine, the Elisha. And so Elisha is brought in. Elisha tells them that the only reason they will have favor is because Jehoshaphat is with them. So basically, hey, Jehoram, if you were by yourself, I would have let you lose, but... I like Jehoshaphat. Yeah, so Jehoshaphat. You can win. Jehoshaphat's not a jerk who doesn't worship me. Uh, so God works a miracle. The armies of Moab see pools of water that they think are blood, and they, can, they run over. So basically... God miraculously uh, causes these pools of water to arise around the army. When the Moabites look at it, they think it's blood. And they're like, oh, sweet, they're already dead. And so they run over to go collect the spoils, and they just run into the camp. And then the Israelites are like, sweet, stab, Die. stab, stab. Uh, so <laughs> and that's what they do. Uh, boy, sorry, sorry for the cough there, listeners. What are you going to do? Uh, Burst my eardrum. I know. The armies of Moab are then routed. Uh, we go back to First Kings for a little bit, so the very end of First Kings, and we see a summary of the life and reign of Jehoshaphat. We are told that he did what was right in the sight of Yahweh, but not perfectly, as the high places remained in place. Come on, man. <laughs> well, at least he got the poles, right? At least he got the Asherah <laughs> yeah. poles. Uh, we also get an aside where he builds a fleet near Edom with the ships wrecking soon after. So, And if you're thinking, listeners, Edom, that's pretty far inland. Yeah, he built it on, a, on the, the lakes, the Dead Sea. So there you go. 
the Chronicles passage gives us a little bit of extra detail that Yahweh is the one who brought the ships to ruin because Jehoshaphat had joined with Ahaziah in war. So it's a punishment for that. Uh, we are told that the people's hearts were not with Yahweh when uh, Jehoshaphat is king. So Jehoshaphat does a pretty good job, but the people are kind of not necessarily there. Jehoshaphat then dies and his son Jehoram, different Jehoram, yep. takes over. Uh, and so I, I put that, it kind of shows that Jehoshaphat and Ahab's families were close with the marriage alliance because uh, remember Ahab, not Ahab, Jehoshaphat marries a daughter of Ahab and then they named their son after one of her brothers, which is who Jehoram is. Because Jehoram is not the son of Ahaziah because Ahaziah is, uh, he dies too early. He doesn't produce an heir. So Jehoram is <clears throat> another son of Ahab who takes over. So there you go. Uh, you you kind of see Jehoshaphat. That was my wedding ring. Uh, you kind of see Jehoshaphat is, again, he, he does some really good things, but he has a few failures that, you know, spoiler alert listeners will probably keep him out of the great tier of kings. But We're yeah. not there yet. I know. Oh, man. Uh, we keep moving into Kings 2250, and that just, you know, Jehoshaphat dies. So again. it's just a repeat. Yeah, he doesn't die for the second time, but we read about it all over again. Uh, and then we find out that, uh, oh, Jehoram. We find out that Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, kills all of his brothers upon taking the throne. So not great. And he is the first king of Judah to do this, I believe. Yes. So there is a, so Solomon killed one of his brothers and, you know, Aaron argues it's justified, but the rest of us, dear listeners know that it wasn't. And then, uh, just kidding. But, uh, and then Jehoram is the first king of Judah to full on just go ancient king mode and kill everyone who possibly could have a claim to the throne. Uh, and then if you're wondering, listeners, well, maybe that was the only bad thing that Jehoram did. Sure. Uh, no. So we're going to go back into Kings and then it says, oh, so this is where it is. So this Jehoram, the Jehoram, the king of Judah is the one who's known as Joram in Kings. Uh, <clears throat> in the fifth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, when Jehoshaphat was king over Judah, Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah began to reign. And that's a confusing sentence. Yes, it is. Uh, so Joram... <laughs> Joram, the son of Ahab, is the Jehoram who's known as that. Uh, he was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem, and he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, which is not a compliment. Nope. As the house of Ahab had done, for the daughter of Ahab was his wife, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Yet the Lord was not willing to destroy Judah for the sake of David, his servant, since he promised to give him a lamp to his sons, to him and his sons forever. Which is kind of interesting because you see... Essentially, Judah gets uh, not a free pass because God definitely brings judgment, but they get a longer leash of like once the once the house of Jeroboam is clearly like, okay, you're corrupt, you're out of here. Like God gets rid of the dynasties of Israel like that. Quickly, yeah. Uh, Judah, he does not. And but what, what this is clear is it seems to me that this is the first case where he would have if it wasn't for the promise to David. <clears throat> With Rehoboam, I don't think he would have ended the dynasty, but I think he clearly, well, Solomon actually is the one who earns it. Um, he splits the kingdom because of it. I think this is the one where it's like, I would have just wiped out your dynasty if it wasn't for your great, great, great you grandfather. Duck. Oh my gosh. We're told in his days, Edom revolted from the rule of Judah and set up a king of their own. Then Joram passed over the Zaire with all of his chariots and rose by night. And he and his chariot commander struck the Edomites who had surrounded him, but his army fled home. So Edom revolted from the rule of Judah to this day. So that gives us some nice little dating information of when this was written. Then Libna revolted at the same time. Now the rest of the acts of King of Joram and all that he did, are they not written in the, chron in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? So Joram slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David and Ahaziah, his son, reigned in his place, which is, an, okay, hold on here. Joram, the son of Ahab, the king of Israel, and Jehoshaphat was king of Joram. Son of Joseph. Okay, why are we getting Joram? 
mixed in the, with, oh my gosh, I'm confused listeners. Here's the thing. I'm reading this <laughs> and I'm like, which one's which? Jor- Joram is Israel. Yeah. Jo- jo- Horam is Judah. But Joram wouldn't have been buried in the city of David. But their, na- like their names, I don't know. Maybe they're just actually, maybe they just want to be really confusing and just switch the names before it. But, oh my goodness. Okay. I think it's just switching the names within this as well. This is the first listeners. We're, we're actively, confused while, actively reading, confused while reading this. Here's the deal. We're never going to talk about these two kings again because they both are not good. <laughs> so so Jehoram and Joram, so whose names are just hard to parse between. That's the end of it. Uh, and then finally, the last passage for me today is in Second Chronicles 21, 5 through 7. And this is just a less detailed version of the king's passage. So it's giving you the same information, just a little bit, uh, you know, spark notes, if you will. Yeah. Re- Reader's Digest for us older people. All right, listeners. Well, that wraps it up for my portion, but we are going to keep going into the book of Kings. And if you thought to yourself, whoa, these two podcast hosts are getting confused on air. They deserve my five-star rating. Then, <laughs> and there you go. There's never been a better time. Uh, so remember that, you know, we like to be candid with you, listeners. We like you to know. We'll let you in beyond the veil. That's exactly what it is. We're not heavily edited here. Uh, but yeah, if, if you're listening, particularly on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, those are the platforms that really help us out. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can actually leave a written review, which will, uh, if you leave one, we'll read it on the air. Just because, you know, we like to give our listeners shout-outs. That's the kind of guys that we are. Uh, so Aaron, we grand? Aaron, obviously my passage was a whole just big bummer about Israel turning away from God and Judah turning away from God. It goes better in yours, right? Absolutely. This okay, is, cool. Like I, I, you gave me the good side of the conversation this week, not the bad. Um, and, and here's the deal. Like we, uh, there's a lot, there is a lot to this. And so we're going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So thank you for your grace. Uh, I'll, we'll work to clear, I'll work to clarify this up on the back end and then we'll come back next week with the podcast and have there you go. conversation ready to go. Uh, but uh, we pick up in Second Kings, and if you wondered why we didn't read chapter two of Second Kings, this is why. Uh, because at this point, we see Elijah's prophetic ministry, as well as the transition and start of Elisha's ministry, um, start to happen. And so Elisha, throughout this moment in chapter two, we're going to see that he has great loyalty to Elijah, follows him all the way to the very end, where Elijah asks Elisha uh, what he would like to be done. Uh, so Elisha looks at Elijah and says, uh, give me a double portion of what you have. In other words, Ooh. he says a mantle. It's this idea of like the authority, the, uh, the, the, the call that you have, I want a double portion of that. So what you have done, I want to do twice as much. Uh, and Elijah understands that he can't grant this, but he says, if you see me taken away, then God will grant your request. Uh, Elijah at this point is taken up in a whirlwind, chariots of fire to be with God. He doesn't die. He's one of the only two people. I think it's one of two people in all of the Bible that d- goes to heaven yep. without dying. If the other guy are, is Enoch back in the Old Testament. It, I'm not, I'm a, Genesis, I'm, I think. Yes, in Genesis. I famously do not like to read into Revelation a ton because I think like we just kind of get caught up in the weeds. But one thing I do like is the idea that the two witnesses are Elijah and Enoch because oh. they're the only two people that didn't experience death. And so they, they experienced it there. Weird flex, but okay. Weird flex, yeah. Just kidding. You know, who knows? Um, so Elisha witnesses this taking place. The only thing that's left from Elijah is uh, his cloak, his mantle. And so Elisha sees that Elijah's gone, tears his clothes in grief uh, and sorrow for a moment because he now loses a mentor who has been following around uh, for such and such a time. He picks up Elijah's clan- cloak, clantle. I was going to say, man, it's, I have mantle or cloak in my notes. So he picks up Eli- Elijah's cloak, puts it on. Uh, and this became the confirmation of the authority and the legitimacy of Elisha as the heir to Elijah and his ministry. 
Uh, so after Elisha takes this mantle, and here's what they want to a little fun thing that I'm going to tell you. Um, as you're reading through Elisha, start to pay attention to the different miracles he performs. Because a spoiler, uh, the double portion is fulfilled where he does twice as many miracles as Elijah does. So uh, just be aware of that. It is funny how I feel like we all know the Elijah stories, like the miracles, and we don't really, like they're not as well taught, no. the Elisha ones, but they're, true. they're pretty incredible. Yeah. And so... Uh, so Elisha, his first miracle is he takes the cloak, he slaps the Jordan River just like Elijah did, uh, repeats it. So he goes back across the Jordan River uh, and it says the sons of the prophets saw this and confirmed that, which then confirmed and respected Elisha as the heir to Elijah's ministry. Um, and then they offered to go look for Elijah to make sure that he wasn't still alive. Like God just picked him up in a whirlwind and dropped him somewhere else on earth. Uh, Elisha said, no, don't do it. Uh, but they kind of embarrassed him to the point where they kept asking and asking and asking. So Elijah said, fine. They go looking for him. They can't find him. Uh, and Elijah, Elisha's like, duh. Um, and so the first miracle that we see performed is he crosses the Jordan River, uh, the sons of the prophets. Now, if you don't know who the sons of the prophets are, this is a group of disciples who met together to worship the Lord, uh, and they would receive instruction under the direction of the prophets. Um, so it was a group of guys, a group of disciples that would learn and spend time with the prophets themselves. Um, so it was a group that Elisha or Elijah was, was with on a regular basis um, in a certain space, time and place. Uh, and so Elijah, Elisha takes on the double mantle portion. He crosses the Jordan River. Uh, and then after he sits down and is with the sons of prophets, after they look for Elijah, they can't find him. Uh, they come to a place in a city. The city's water supply is bad. It doesn't, it's not good. It's not producing fruit. Um, it can't produce fruit or vegetation. It can't sustain that. Uh, and so Elisha asks for a bowl of salt. He goes to the well, throws the water in the salt and reveals what God would say that he healed the water. This would be miracle number two. Uh, Elisha, at this point, Elisha then goes up to Bethel. Uh, on the way, there's this crazy story that I want to read, which is miracle three, by the way. It says, from there, Elisha went up to Bethel. As he was walking the path, uh, some small boys came out of the city and jeered at him, chanting, go up, baldy, go up, baldy. Uh, quick side note, the funny thing about this, and I always chuckle at this, uh, and if Mark, if you're listening to this, I love you, bro. Uh, but we had a leader years ago when when I was youth pastor, Evan was one of our youth leaders. I think it was actually your, no, it wasn't your. It wasn't my life, life group. group. I just heard the story though. <laughs> uh, but he was a life group leader. If you don't, if you know Mark, he's an incredible guy, but he's bald. No offense, Mark, but he was bald. Uh, and so one day, uh, Mark was reading in the life group. I said, hey, Mark, you should read this passage. Uh, and he wasn't familiar with the reference reads it, and he, it's almost as if they're kind of making fun of him that he's bald, but it was just kind of a funny story. Um, to be clear, Mark did not call out a curse like Elisha did. Verse 24 says this, <coughs> excuse me, he turned around, looked at them, and cursed them in the name of the Lord. Then two female bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the children. Now, to be clear, the students in that life group were mauled by bears afterwards, but we have no, you know, it, wasn't it was Mark. not connected no, to Mark just kidding. Yeah. No, uh, and so it says they were mauled by 42 bears. From there, Elisha went up to Mount Carmel and then returned to Samaria. Uh, miracle number three calls him out because they are insulting him. They're, they're uh, mocking, and, and if he's a man of God, you're not supposed to mess with or mock the man of God. We then jump into chapters four through eight, and there's some repetitive reading. I think we've done this a few times in this reading plan where... Evan, what you finished at the end uh, of your portion, we actually reread again uh, at the end uh, of this section of, of Second Kings here. Oh, my. Um, 
But verse 4, we see more miracles under Elisha. We see a widow's oil is multiplied to the amount of vessels she was able to borrow. Uh, and in essence, it was able, she was in debt and she was not going to survive or, or live or she wasn't able to provide food. So Elisha says, borrow uh, vessels, fill it with the oil you have. It won't run out. Uh, and, and then use the oil to pay your debts and live off the remainder. That's what happens. They fill up. And then her, her, she asks her son, how many, give me another vessel. He says, well, we don't have any more after they collected a ton. And it says that the oil stopped pouring at that point. Uh, and so she was able to sell it. She was able to pay off her debt and she was able to live off the remainder. Incredible miracle. Uh, in chapter four, we're also introduced to a Shunammite woman uh, and servants, uh, Elisha's servant Gehazi. Uh, and the Shunammite woman shows honor to Elisha by making a place for him to stay as he travels and provides bread and water as well. In other words, this would be a place that he would frequently stop. He would get bread and water. And so she said, hey, we're going to build him a, a, a little room up on top of her house where he can come and rest and, and have his little, his his isolation or his privacy or solitude for when he comes. And so one day, Elisha stops there uh, and then calls Gehazi, his servant, and says, hey, bring her to me. Uh, and she comes with Gehazi and Elisha wants to reward her for her hospitality but she says she doesn't need anything because she lives among her own people. In other words, she's saying, I've been well provided for and well cared for. I don't have anything I need. Uh, and so she leaves. Elisha turns to Gehazi and says, uh, what should we give her then? And Gehazi says, well, she doesn't have a son. And so Elisha calls her back, prophesies that th she will have a son by this time next year. Uh, come to find out this is actually what happened. She conceives, has a son. It's an incredible miracle. Uh, and then... Uh, we see continued in chapter four that the Shunammite woman, uh, her, her son grew up uh, and then all of a sudden he cried out, my head, my head. And oh, something had happened with his head. We don't know what exactly that means. I, I tried to figure it out exactly, but there's not real clarity. Uh, but he had a head issue. The, his dad sent him to his mom. His mom was holding and cuddling and kind of comforting him. He ended up dying and passing away in her lap. Uh, she put him, him in Elijah's room, Elisha's room, uh, and left to go find Elisha. Uh, she finds Elisha, she'll cry out in anguish. And then we get this in verse chapter four, verse 29 to 37. It says, so Elisha said to Gehazi, take, tuck your mantle under your belt, take my staff with you and go. If you meet anyone, don't stop to greet him. And if a man greets you, don't answer him. Then place my staff on the boy's face. So at this point, the Shunammite woman has said, hey, I didn't want a son, but you gave me, a, you prophesied I'd have a son. Now I have to deal with the grief and the sorrow of losing a son. You need to fix this. Um, my paraphrased version, she's not being that forceful with it. She's just a, a mom in despair. And so Elisha says, hey, Gehazi, go. You're going to go and touch the boy's head with my my staff. He's going to be well. Uh, but the boy's mother in verse 30 says this, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. Uh, so he ended up getting up and following her. Gehazi went ahead of them and placed the staff on the boy's face, but there was no sound of or sound or sign of life in him. Uh, so we went back to meet Elisha and told him the boy did not wake up. When Elisha got to the house, he discovered the boy lying dead on his bed. Uh, and that was the bed that uh, the Shunammite woman had set up for Elisha. She went, so he went in, closed the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he went up and lay on the boy. He put mouth to mouth, eye to eye, hand to hand while he bent down where, over Where him. do you learn that from? I, I don't know. Uh, probably watching Elijah do it. Or actually, it was probably your chiropractor. Um, Either way. But I'm uh, and then it says, as he did this, the boy's flesh became warm. Elisha got up, went into the house, paced back and forth, and went up and bent down over him again. The boy sneezed seven times, and he opened his eyes. Elisha called Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite woman. 
He called her. She came. Then Elisha said, pick up your son. She came, fell at his feet and bowed on the, to the ground. She picked up her son and left. Uh, so we see this incredible miracle of ch- in chapter four from Elisha. Um, and then we continue in chapter four where we see Elisha return at the, returns at this point to Gilgal. There's a famine in the land. Uh, sons of the prophets were sitting. He ordered some stew to be made, which turns out to be deadly because they put some gourds that they didn't know where it was from. Uh, and so it became like death stew is what the heading on my Bible calls it. Classic. Um, the sons of the prophets take a bite and they freak out and say, this is, there's death in the soup. Uh, just like that. That's exactly what it sounded like. Um, and so Elisha in a moment calls for flour, throws some flour in the soup and the soup was made better and they all ate soup and had a good time. Another miracle. Um, chapter four, we also get this idea of turning 20 loaves of bread into an abundance to feed, um, where there's 20 loaves that are brought that are fresh made bread, barley bread. And Elisha says, Hey, f- give them to the audience, give them to the guys so they can eat. And they end up eating more than they have. And they have, a, they have plenty of leftover it carries a little bit of allusions to, uh, Jesus feeding the 4,000 and the 5,000. Um, but Jesus did it with less. So Elisha's not nearly as good as Jesus. So Jesus is the better Elisha. That is fair. Um, chapter five, we encounter Naaman. Naaman is a commander of the army from Aram who had a skin disease. He hears Elisha, uh, of Elisha and the power that he has. So he goes to seek healing. Um, he'll end up finding Elisha and Elisha will command him to dip in seven times in the Jordan river. Uh, and I just, I don't know if I've ever picked up on this reaction before, uh, but this is Naaman's reaction starting in verse 11 of chapter five. But Naaman got angry and left, saying, I was telling myself he will surely come out, stand and call in the name of the Lord his God, and wave his hand over me, and place, uh, wave his hand over the place, and cure the skin disease. Aren't Abana and Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than the, all these waters of all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I have ha- wash in them and be clean? So he turned and left in a rage. But his servants approached him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more should you do it when he only tells you, wash and be clean? So Naaman, being a good man, he's actually being a pretty intelligent, humble man at this point. He was mad because it wasn't like, well, I have to go in Damascus. I have to go, uh, not Damascus, I have to go in the Jordan River. Do you know what happens in the Jordan River? So Naaman humbles himself, went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, according to the, the command of the man of God. Then his skin was restored and became like the skin of a small boy, and he was clean. Verse 15 says, then Naaman and his whole company went back to the man of God, stood before him and declared, I know there's no God God in the whole world except Israel. Therefore, please accept a gift from your servant. Fast forward a bit. Um, Actually, no, don't fast forward. At this point, Elisha says, no, I don't want the gift. You're good. I'm glad you're healed, whatever. Now go. And then we get this moment of of Elisha's servant Gehazi. uh, And I just call this his greed. He thinks Elisha should have accepted something. So he goes down after Naaman. Uh, without Elisha knowing, makes a request of reward, comes back to Elisha. He stops at, at his house, drops off the, the reward, which was um, 150 pounds of silver, I believe, uh, and then like two sets of clothes or something like that. Uh, and so he drops that off at his house on his way back to Elisha. Elisha says, hey, Gehazi, where were you? Where did you go? Uh, Gehazi says, oh, I didn't go anywhere. Oh, Gehazi. Um, real quick, Elisha's a prophet. And here's the deal. I don't think... Prophets always have, they're not fortune tellers. They can't read your mind. Only God can do that. But God can enable them to do that. Right. Uh, And so Elisha, who has incredible discernment and knowledge because of the power of the Holy Spirit on him, uh, knew exactly what had happened. So he called Gehazi on his lie, and he said that the disease of Naaman will now be his. And Gehazi left Elisha's side diseased. That's all we hear about for Gehazi. 
for now. Oh, God. In chapter six and seven, we get this floating axe head miracle where uh, someone's chopping wood, the head of the iron, the, the iron of the axe head falls in the water, uh, and Elijah, Elisha asks, where is it? He throws a piece of wood in, the axe head floats, they, get the, they recover the axe head. Another miracle. Um, we also see there's a war, the war with the Arameans. Uh, Elisha was warning the king of Israel of the Aramean army. Uh, so the king of Aram got really angry and sent his troops to capture and kill Elisha. Uh, in other words, Elisha was giving information to the king of Israel saying, hey, by the way, this is where the Arameans like to patrol or they're hiding out here. Don't go down there. Or if you do, be on your guard. Uh, and the king of Aram was really frustrated because he's trying to take advantage of that. Uh, and so he said, fine, let's go find Elisha. We're going to capture him and kill him. Uh, and so Elisha wasn't worried. His servant, on the other hand, woke up and saw the army and was kind of scared. Uh, and so Elisha simply said, don't don't worry, because those who are with us outnumber those who are against us. Uh, and he's referring to the Lord's army. And so he prays for his servants' eyes to be open, and they were. Uh, and then Elisha prays for blindness over the Aramean army. Uh, he then leads them. I say, hey, they didn't go this way. Come this way. I'll lead you to him. He brings them to Samaria, which is, an, is king of Israel's territory. Uh, when he brings them to Samaria, he prays for blindness to leave. The Aramean army, uh, their eyes are opened. They see that they're now in Samaria. They're now captured. Uh, and the king of Israel says, hey, should I kill him? And Elisha says, no, just feed him. Give him water, send him on the way. Uh, he does that. We see continued in chapter six and seven, we see the uh, king Ben-Hadad of Aram marched against Samaria and surrounded the city. Famine came upon them. And we get this crazy story of two women who conspired to eat their children because that's how bad the famine was. Uh, only one. It's a weird story. I feel like I've gotten the weird stories this week or the last actually couple weeks. Yeah, a little bit. With you. Um, but these two women, they're facing famine. They, the one woman says, hey, let's make a pact. Let's make a treaty. Let's boil your kid and eat it. And then we'll boil my kid and eat it tomorrow. Uh, the woman agrees. They boil the kid. They eat it. Uh, the next day, the woman comes back, and the woman's like, I don't know what happened to my son. He disappeared. Uh, and the woman deceived her, hid her son. So then they cry out to the king of Aram. He's outraged by famine and commits himself to killing Elisha by removing his head. Uh, Elisha hears of this, then prophesies of a coming abundance where there's going to be provision, uh, and it's going to be abundant. But there's a, I just said that. Um, and the way it happens is pretty crazy. Um so what happens is uh, there's men, we then see this other, it's like almost like a scene changes. There's men with skin disease at the city gate, like four or five of them. They could decide to go in the army and camp just looking for food because they're hungry, they're starving. They find the camp deserted. So remember, they're surrounding Samaria. There's famine in the land. Uh, and these city guys go, or the, the guys at the city gate go to uh, the Aramean camp looking for food knowing they're probably going to die anyways, they find the camp was deserted, empty. They ate their fill, plundered it a bit, then ran back to the sea and said, hey, there's no one there. The king is is uh, cautious and sends a small battalion of people to check it out. They find out that actually the Aramean army, something scared them. They ran away and they left a trail of clothes and provisions. All of the Israelites, all of the Sumerians come out and plunder the city where they get an abundance of food and provisions and material. Uh, and it ends up seeing that Elisha's prophetic word comes true. Um, chapter eight, we find the Shunammite woman comes back into the story um, where she fled. She was told to flee once the famine was on the way. Um, she comes back. 
She receives the land that she once had. It was restored to her. Uh, and then the proceeds of what would her land would have produced while she was away is also given to her as well. Uh, and so it's pretty incredible. Uh, we see in chapter eight, the Benadad is sick, but recovers. Then he's killed by Hazael, who was sent uh, to Elisha in the first place. Uh, in other words, Hazael was one of uh, Hadad's right-hand men. He says, hey, go inquire of, of Elisha to see if I'll survive. Elisha says to Hazael, yes, he's going to survive. And then he weeps when he looks at it because he realized God gave him knowledge and to realize he's going to, Ben-Hadad's going to survive, but Hazael is going to kill him and take over his throne. Uh, and that's what happens. Um, sorry, my throat is a little dry. So, uh, so we see this all play out. We see Hazael actually take over the kingship um, and Ben-Hadad, who recovers from being sick, but is killed in the process as well. Um, we are introduced at this point to King Jehoram of Judah. Uh, this is where it gets a little confusing, uh, but it's not to be confi- confused with Israel's King Joram. Uh, we've, been, we've been over we've this. We've been over this, right? <laughs> um, we talked about Jehoshaphat. He reigned eight years. He walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, which we talked about already. And this is where we get a little bit of double up um, and that we've already read some of this. And so we'll, we'll read chapter eight again. Then we jump over into chapter 21 of Second Chronicles, verses eight through 20. Uh, we get a parallel account of King Joram and of Judah with the addition that he built high places in the hills of Judah, uh, and he caused the inhabitants of Jerusalem to prostitute themselves and led Judah astray. We also get a quick section from a letter of a, of a letter from Elijah condemning Jehoram's action and judgment. Uh, and verse 14 just simply says, the Lord is now about to strike your people, your sons, your wives, and all your possessions with a horrible affliction. You yourself will be struck with many illnesses, including a disease of the intestines until your intestines come out day after day because of the disease, uh, which is kind of a gross picture, but it does happen. Um, then we get the end of Jehoram's life. He was afflicted by war and then two years of this disease that the Lord prophesied to him. Um, and then probably the most humbling verse is here in verse 20. It says that he died, referring to Jehoram, he died to no one's regret and was buried in the city of David, but not in the tombs of the kings. Um, Second Kings here gives us a parallel ending of Jehoram's reign. Uh, verses eight, chapter eight, verses 23 to 29. Second Chronicles 22, 1 through 7 is a parallel account of Judah's king Ahaziah. He was the youngest son because the older brothers were killed. Um, Ahab's house advised him, uh, and he did what they suggested. We're also given a teaser into God's coming judgment through Jehu, uh, so stay tuned on that one. Uh, Second Kings, we jump into Second Kings chapter 9, all the way through first 10, chapter 10, verse 17. Uh, in chapter 9, we see and find Elisha is given his servant, uh, the anointing oil to go anoint Jehu as king over Israel. Those following Jehu heard of his anointing and aligned with, with him. Jehu heads to Jezreel to visit Joram and Ahaziah because at this point there was a, a, a fight that Joram and Ahaziah joined together in uh, and Joram got injured uh, and oh, I believe it was Joram and he goes to Jezreel to recover. Uh, and so as he's heading out to Ahaziah comes and visits him. So when Jehu's going to Jezreel, it's to invoke punishment, which is where we're going to see kind of the rest of the reading this week is Jehu executing punishment against Ahab's house. Um, And because both of these are married into that family, there's punishment that comes out. Uh, Jehu goes, meets Joram and Ahaziah outside. Um, Jehu is asked, do you come in peace by Joram? Uh, He says in Jehu's response, what peace can there be as long as there's so much prostitution and sorcery from your mother Jezebel? Joram turned around and fled, shouting to Ahaziah, it's treachery. Uh, and then Jehu threw his... It's a trap. <laughs> it's a trap. Uh, drew, they drew his bow, shot Joram between the shoulders. The arrow went through his heart, and Joram slumped down in his chariot. 
And then Ahazai started fled as well. And then Jehu says, shoot him with arrows. And so they shoot him with arrows and he dies as well. Uh, and that's how he takes care of Joram and Ahaziah. Chapter 9 continues with the encounter of Jezebel, where he comes up. Jezebel's putting on her makeup, looks out the window, and says the same thing to Jehu. Is it, are you coming in peace? Jehu's response is like, is there anyone with me? And he sees two or three eunuchs who look at him, and they shove her out the window, and she falls to her death as well. I get it. Um, Absolutely. Fun fact, it was prophesied early on that she her her body would not be found, uh, but that would just be a corpse. And so when Jehu finishes this, he goes in to eat, comes out, says, ah, we should bury her because she is a, a wife of a king. Uh, they go out and they only find like her skull and maybe a bone or two uh, because their dogs have eaten her body and they disappeared. So there was no body to bury. Uh, it's funny. There's there's so many kings of Israel that like you think of Jezebel like oh she's been dead for a long time now like nope there's just been a bajillion kings because none of them are reigning for very long. Yep, so. it's very true. Oh man. Uh, and then chapter ten one through seventeen covers the death of the seventy sons of Ahab and the kin of Ahaziah. The removal of the line of Ahab is almost complete. Uh, we jump into Second Chronicles, uh, and I know I'm overviewing a lot of it. This is just it's it's narrative. You're going to read through it and you're going to see. Um, Second Chronicles is, it details the finding of, uh, and, and the killing of Ahaziah who had hid in Samaria. Um, he was shot with, with arrows, but he wasn't dead yet because he kind of fleed. Um, he was found, he was killed. And then Second Kings, which is the final section this week, details Jehu eliminating Baal worshipers. Uh, and he uses deception uh, to say, hey, Ahab worshiped Baal, but Jehu's going to do it even more. So gather all the worshipers of Baal. He gathers them all to the, the the temple where they perform sacrifices. He had guards standing outside as they're in. He even says, hey, make sure there's no one who serves the Lord inside of you. And he's doing that because he's going to kill them. Uh, all the prophets of Baal, not the prophets of the Lord. So they're finishing up their sacrifices. Jehu goes outside and tells the guards, don't let anybody survive. And they go in and they kill out or they kill out all of the prophets of Baal uh, and then in cha- chapter 10, verses 28 to 36 of 2 Kings, I'm going to encourage you, uh, this is going to be a fun read because it's it's an evaluation of Jehu's leadership and reign. Um, and it's it's positive at first. He eliminates the worship of Baal. He did not turn away from the sins, or he, he but he says this in verse 29, which is a key verse, but he did not turn away from the sins that Jeroboam, son of Nebat, had caused Israel to commit, worshiping the gold calves that were in Bethel and Dan. Remember to last week's podcast where we talked about the the Bethel and Dan had golden calves set up by Jeroboam because he tried to prevent the Israelites going to Ju- Judah to worship God. Uh, and so he did, Jehu did right things. He took care of, he eliminated the line of Ahab. He eliminated Baal worship, which was a big deal. Um but he didn't. He didn't finish the job. Uh, and the verse thirty, I think, is a is a big verse. It says, "Nevertheless, the Lord said to Jehu, because you have done well in carrying out what is right in my sight, and have done to the house of Ahab all that was in my heart, for generations, four generations, the number four of your sons will sit on the throne of Israel." Um, and it says he was not careful to follow instruction of the Lord with all his heart. He did not turn from the sins of Jeroboam, cause Israel to commit. Um, and so it gives you a picture of Jehu's reign, which was high highs and a couple lows because he didn't fully follow through with everything. And that's where we wrap up this week's episode. Uh, as far as the content of the reading plan, we've got a couple more sections for you, but that's the biggest. Specifically, the first section we have coming up is Ranking, ranking the Kings. Bum, 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 bum. Okay, 
Boy, we're just ra- we're ranking kings. This is a good time. It's been a fun two weeks. I know, for real. Okay, so the first king we have coming, and we're going to go by, uh, not in order of death, we're going to go by nation to make it a little bit easier on ourselves this week. But <laughs> uh, all right, so first king we have in Israel, we'll start with the northern kingdom, is Ahab. Okay, so. <laughs> Easy, bad. Obviously not, obviously not great. Bad. Obviously not good. He's not okay. Bad. He's not okay? No. I don't, yeah, I don't think he is. He has a moment of repentance. He can be top tier bad, but there's no way he's okay. Top tier bad? Okay. I'll put him, I I like top tier bad. Who's who's top tier bad right now? Right now we have Rehoboam is like the top of the bad tier. Do you want to put Ahab above or below Rehoboam? I mean, I I feel like the tiebreaker is, I don't think Rehoboam, he doesn't lead people away from Yahweh, correct? I'm trying to remember now. Whereas Ahab is like, he has that moment of repentance, which is great. But he's definitely not like, hey, everyone, we're worshiping the one true God alone right now. This is great radio. I would, say, I would say Rehoboam Ahab. All right. I won't, I won't put up a fight. I'm good with that. But, you know, I feel like... Ahab just starts off bad. Oh, he starts off bad. And he, he starts off bad and stays bad. He and then he has a moment bad. of repentance, but then is bad. That's fair. All right. Uh, Ahaziah, much easier. It's just bad king. Bad. <laughs> so we'll go... Easy peasy. Past, I mean, I don't know. We have the Elah, Zemri, Omri wing of just like the rapid fire bad kings. Do we feel like he's below that, above that? Do we not care about... Once we get past like the top tier of the bad kings, I guess they're all kind of the same anyway. Yeah. yeah I told him in that mix somewhere. Okay. Well, let's put him at the end. Cause, and you maybe, you put him, maybe you put him below those three if there's not really a change because... He could have learned from those three and he didn't. I don't know. Like how how technical do you want to get? That's true. Okay. Next up, Jehoram. Are you sure this is Jehoram? Jehoram of Israel. Jehoram slash Joram of Israel. I feel like he's, I mean, he's not a, he's not an okay king. He's not a good king, but I feel like he's, he's a notch above Ahab, right? Is he, cause he, he, he doesn't fully commit to everything, but he gets rid of the Baal. He gets rid of the, the prophets of Baal. He's definitely the better Jehoram. Yeah, I would say, yeah, that's true. Above Ahab, do we put him above Rehoboam? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I don't know, man. You know, just for giggles, let's do it. Yeah, and then, and then we'll, yeah. we'll, come, yeah. we'll come back to it later. Yep. Listen, listener, we, ha- we reserve the right to change this list before the end of the Kings. Oh, for sure. And here's the deal. If you're if you're listening to this and you're like, what are you talking? Send send it in. Send in your thoughts. We will take that into consideration. Yeah, there you go. I am Listenership, I am, help us make these make these for real. I am curious if Jehoram is going to end up when it's all said and done as the best king, king of Israel, which again is a uh, it's a low bar, but, but it's, it's but it's a standard. Yeah, it's it's one. Uh finally Jehu, who uh, I feel like he's kind of in that same category of high tier bad king. Or do you want to put him in okay? I was thinking okay. Really? Like a low okay. A low okay? Because he's better than he's better than Rehoboam. You think so? Yeah. Okay. All right. We'll do. I, I'm curious about- Do you I, disagree? No, here's the thing. Th- this is not meant to be you acquiescing to me. This is meant to be no, a no, conversation. No, no, I know. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm, I'm torn between, here. I need, to, I need to study this because it just, it occurred to me while we were talking today and I haven't had time to look into it yet. Um, the way that Jezreel is talked about in Kings oh, you did make that point. is different from the way it's talked about in Hosea, which very much influences the way that I think about Jehu. So I think for now, I'm going to have to just acquiesce 
But listen, and I'm good with it. As we get to Hosea, the kings are not over yet. Oh yeah, yeah. So things may change and adjust, and that's okay. Okay, you know, you're right. After we'll put him after Abijam. So I, I take it back, listener, because when I said I wonder if Jehoram of Israel is going to be the highest ranked Israel king, that was short lived. That was a nice thirty <laughs> seconds where all of a sudden we go to Jehu. That's, that's almost like was it a uh, Beisha's or oh, Elah's Elah's reign. Right? Seven days? It was the same thing. It was Je- Jehoram's stand at, up, up, atop the kings of Israel was short. Uh, Jehoshaphat, I feel like this one's pretty easy. He's the same as his dad. Do you just put him before or after? Do you think he's a slightly better king or a slightly worse king than Asa? Better. Better? Okay. I mean, he doesn't, yeah, he doesn't have the spectacular fall. If Asa's an eight, he's an 8.1. I, I feel like Asa has. I'm just kidding. Asa has a worse fa- a worse fall, mm. and then but Jehoshaphat seems to have seems to have more falls, but none of them are like ho- as horrid, I guess. So yep. there you go. Uh, Jehoram of Judah, I feel like he's pretty clearly bad, bad, and we can just slot it. We can just slot him. Throw into, him in the mix. Yeah, just slot him into the end there, and not worry about where we're ranking him exactly. Uh, and then finally, Ahaziah of Judah. What he's, do you, ba- he's bad too. Yeah. Okay. That's an easy we'll one. We'll just put him in there. And I think that's it for the kings that have the same names. So, Hopefully. Well, there's Jeroboam the uh, second. The second, but at least he's like he's clearly, got a second. Yeah. These the other ones we're gonna have to put Israel and Judah past their names, and that's just that's just confusing, you know, for the listeners. Okay. So right now, if you're trying to keep track, we have great kings of Israel and Judah, just David. Uh, but then we have good kings, Jehoshaphat, followed by Asa. Okay, kings. We have Solomon, followed by Saul, followed by Abijam, followed by Jehu, and then ba- which Jehu is a king of Israel who made it in there. So way to go, bud. Way to way to make it. Uh, and now. then bad. We have Jehoram of Israel, Rehoboam, Ahab, Jeroboam the first, Nadab, Basha, Elah, Zimri, Omri, Ahaziah of Israel, Jehoram of Judah, and Ahaziah of Judah. So. And listeners, that list is going to keep growing. Yep. It's going to keep... We don't have any kings ranked as the worst yet. Not yet. So, we'll, but we'll... And like we said last week, the, we'll, we'll link this this graphic in the show notes so that way you can see the update. Yeah, you'll, you, it, will be, it will be there for you. Uh, but for now, let's talk about what we learned today. Yeah, well, I'm going to start this, this, this week because uh, you talked a lot last segment with ranking the kings. So... Um, I think one of the things that stood out to me this week as I was reading uh, was really Elisha's, um, I, I would say it this way, his audacity to ask for a double portion. Um, I think it was back to even Solomon. Like Solomon had this moment, which we call brilliant, to ask for wisdom, uh, but that's still an audacious thing. Like that's something that um, I just, I, I appreciated the boldness of the ask. And so uh, I, I'm, I'm challenged, I'm encouraged, I'm kind of inspired by Elisha um, to not just settle for uh, hey, good to see you, Elijah. Bye. Thanks for letting me learn from you. Now I'm going to go do, but it's like, what do you want from me? I want a double portion. Uh, and I think that there was a lot of, a lot of confidence in that, a lot of audaciousness in that. I think there was a lot of faith in that. Uh, and so I think even today, like when it comes to when we're following what God has in front of us, when we're dreaming, when we feel, uh, or, or, or navigating different opportunities that God presents, um, I, I do think those times where where the Holy Spirit would give us an opportunity to say, well, what, which option do you want? Which, which path do you want to walk down? And, and to have the audacity to, to ask and dream boldly, um, to, to not settle for, uh, a safe bet, but to, but to ask and shoot for the stars, I think is so big. Um, and it sounds, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of a, I feel it's, it's funny cause it's kind of like inspirational versus 
the last few weeks of application. Uh, but this really was one that struck me as I was reading and, and thinking through uh, this week's reading is the fact that, man, Elisha asked for a double portion and he he got it. Um, and, and as we continue to look through Elisha's life, you'll see that he his life was fulfilled by doing double what Elijah did during his lifetime. So I think it's really encouraging and challenging for me as a follower of Christ to be audacious in my asks uh, of what of what I would want or what I dream of when it comes to God, God's call in my life. I love it. They're very good. My, mine is, and here's, I, 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 it struck me last year. It struck me again this year. We never talk about it. Ahab's repentance is something that is is really interesting to me because, and here's the thing, if you feel like you're too far gone, <laughs> If you feel like I've done too much, I can't possibly bring this before the Lord. I can't possibly repent. Freaking Ahab is like the worst <laughs> king of Israel. And then, uh, and that's like, not true. We didn't rank him as the we worst. We didn't rank him as the worst. But I think up until this point, he is basically, and he's the poster child for horrid kings of Israel, even with his repentance moment. Like, I think we actually might be giving him a little bit more credit than the uh, than the chroniclers and the the authors of Kings do. You're probably true. Um and maybe that re- reflects poorly on us. I don't know. Um, but I love the idea. He has been forgiven much, loves much, bro. Thank you. Thank you. No, I, I love the idea that after all of the failure, after everything that Ahab does, and he's not a perfect man after this by any means, but the idea that not only does he humble himself and repent before the Lord, but God hears it and God yeah. listens. Um, I think that's really powerful because yeah. I think sometimes the the examples we use for people who are really forgone, and, but it's, it's not like like Peter is a great example. Peter's got nothing on Ahab <laughs> as far it's as true. like as far as like how much he messed up. Um, even David, <laughs> like when David repents before the Lord, um, Ahab is just awful and yet god sees the way he humbles himself and he and he listens and he hears uh he hears what ahab has to say so i think that's that's good it's a really beautiful moment it's a reminder for us today to never feel like we are outside the love and the mercy of god that's good all right well that wraps it up for this week's episode of let's read the bible as a reminder we are a podcast of the Grove Church, but we're not the only resource of the Grove Church. Uh, you can find our other resources on our website, grove.church, under the media tab. And we, uh, if you, this podcast has been a blessing to you and you would like to contribute financially to the ministry that the Grove Church does, you can also do that on our website, grove.church. There is a give button in the upper right-hand corner. And hey, thank you all so much for listening. Have a great week.